Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What say you, Richard Ellett Murdoch, are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand and die? Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country. The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation, it was obvious I'm not here to work with them, okay? And the whole point is to have this not fall into the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history. Welcome to Unsolved South Carolina, the Murdoch Murders Money and Mystery. We are here for our daily recap of what's going on in the Murdoch murder trial. And we want to start this podcast off, this Friday off, with uh, breaking news um, that we wanted to share with you about the trial. And I'm going to let our legal analyst, South Carolina's former Attorney General, Charlie Condon. He's here with us, as is our executive producer, Drew Tripp, and master of controls and production back there, Max Harrison. Um, Charlie, tell me what we've learned. Hard news. I can confirm from a very reliable source on the defense team that they focus grouped the defense that they're going to be using that the killing or the murdering of the defendant's son and wife, that jurors would find that just really hard to believe when you put the motivation being financial crimes. It's central to their defense in in light of the focus group, as I understand it, and um, hard news here. In other words, it's it's, the, the... this issue has been tested, and it's tested well, very well for the defense. And they're using it effectively during this trial. That's been their theme, and no reason they're using it because they know that through the focus group, mm-hmm. that people have a really, really hard time believing that someone who has money trouble would be motivated then to kill his wife and his son. So that's the hard news that I have and just want to share it with you. I'm so glad you did because it's it's something that has been running, I think, kind of running over in all of our minds is how is this, how is, how is the defense keeping up this, um, this play basically mm-hmm. that, you know, the defendant is going to be found, you know, in, in their mind, not guilty because uh, this kind of crime would, he would never do it. I mean, I think that's what we hear over and over again. It's unthinkable Mm -hmm. that uh, a man who's been to all the baseball games just literally that weekend, you know, they, they, they were, they were together, right? right? He was messing around on the truck, Mm -hmm. right? With his son. There Mm -hmm. was always this perception of a loving atmosphere 
So I guess when the defense, and we don't know how the defense put it to the focus group necessarily, but they presented a loving father who up until literally minutes, if, if less than an hour before they died, was was treating his family like loved ones. Yeah, and there's no evidence of separation, right, or fights. It, it, the evidence thus far, and of course we're early in this trial, mm. but the evidence thus far is that it was a happy family. Wouldn't you say? That's the evidence. And that's what the focus group agreed to. Well, as I understand, it's, it was tested with the focus group. Uh, would you have issues with convicting somebody of murder of the person's son and daughter, I mean son and, and a wife, based upon the motivation that he had horrible, let's say it's horrible money troubles. Mm -hmm. And the folks group said, I would have real issues convicting someone based upon that motivation. And, you know, uh, as I talk to folks about this, that is one question that does repeat itself. Well, what's, what's the motivation here? Then you say, well, the state's theory is it's the white collar, as I've talked about, turning into blood red collar because of the financial crimes, more turning into horrible, violent crimes, horrible murders. It, 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 a lot of people do have questions as to how that could possibly be. And it, it, it is true. If you start thinking about our human experience, we've all at, at times have had issues with money or this or that. And even if you have extreme financial issues, it is hard to imagine, isn't it? Doing something that violent. Mm -hmm. to, to, well, and that sounds like that's going to be a big part family. of the defense. Mm -hmm. um, so. to try and, have you ever used a focus group like I that? I have not. I've not been, not been involved with one. Um, it's very common in the legal profession, particularly on what one would call high-value cases on the civil side. And, of course, this okay. is a, an important case on the defense side. So it would make sense to, to have done it, but I, I, can, I had read that there was possibility of this, but I can now confirm that, in fact, it did happen, and it tested. The news here is that it tested uh, the highest, uh, the in best. In the defense's favor. It, yeah, in the defense favor. And wow. it, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it, 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 that, yeah, the, the confirmation was that it was focus group and the um, clear information to me was this was the, the top one that they feel would be the most effective. And we've heard it, I mean, from day one, haven't we? That is there any you're saying? And yeah, you know, I and, agree. and you notice how Judge Newman shut down the ludicrous argument because he's probably tired of hearing it, right? From so, anyhow, well, just want to share the hard news here. We can yeah. move on to some other great topics. Yeah, well, I, I think thank you so much for doing that. And I, I want to go to the other flip side of this. We're about to hear a clip from a young man named Tony Satterfield. And I say this is the yes. flip side because Tony Satterfield is a, one of Alec Murdoch's uh, financial victims. Uh, and we know this because Alec Murdoch has already put, put a confession of judgment uh, towards this case of $4.3 million in the Satterfield case. This is the late housekeeper of Murdoch um, who fell, uh, it was in a trip and fall incident at his home and through insurance settlements that he had um, yes. worked, uh, the boys, her boys, were supposed to receive up to $4.3 million, and they didn't receive a cent. Listen to when he comes up on the to testify. He's testifying to try and get the financial crimes included in this jury trial. Right now, this is without a jury. Listen to Tony. Did he tell you that they had already gotten a settlement for $505,000? No. 
Did he tell you that, that they had already gotten a settlement for $3.8 million? No. Had he ever told you that there was an umbrella policy for $5 million? No. Did he ever mention to you anything about forge? No. Did he mention anything to you about structuring any settlement? No. Did he, you give him permission to steal your money? No. This is a case that we've been following for a long time. We've done podcast episodes on this. Um, to hear the Tony Satterfield, 33 years old, get up there. Uh, he was sitting right in front of me. Uh, right before he stood up he, and he, and when he came back down, he, the sled agents were patting him on the back. He got a lot of hand, mm -hmm. you know, got, got, got his hand shook a few times by these guys and got, you know, Eric Bland put his arm around him and said, well done. He was so nervous. He said, but he carried through with it. Um, how effective do you think this Tony Satter feels uh, or how damaging? How much time do we have? I, I had to go over to meet the person because it, you know, my firm, we handle cases on the same type basis. These contingency fee cases that uh, we have large settlements, small settlements, and the idea that, gosh, I mean, where do I begin? This is, first of all, this is his housekeeper's son that he would know intimately, right? The, housekeeper, the, of tw housekeeper of 20 years, mind you. Yes, and so this lawyer, and it's such a, it's such a, Black mark on our profession. I was just really angry hearing it because he not only <laughs> secretly settles these cases without the client knowing, and it takes two other people to be part of this really, I, I would have to, this yeah. horrible agreement. And so he steals these funds that this very sympathetic person needs this money after losing his mother. It was, I can't think of a, anything worse that a lawyer could do other than killing somebody right. but uh, interesting evidentiary question here just so you'll maybe think about this i, th I anticipate this on monday we have this rule 403 that any evidence that the prejudicial effect outweighs the probative value that it proves a point so the state wants to use this to prove motive it wouldn't surprise me at all if judge newman says this is so horrible that the prejudicial effect and i think i'd have a hard time disagreeing with this actually just having heard this testimony it is so horrible what happened here i do think that the jurors are likely to go past the, the the what it's used for which is simply to prove not simply but it's important issue to prove motive to be so angry with this defendant to punish the judge, him for that for this yeah the judge liable to exclude it so we'll see what happens on monday do, do you think that that could be the the bridge to link to link it all together the the bridge to get them across mm -hmm. that threshold of there's no way uh even with financial troubles there's no way that he could go out and murder his wife and son do you think the idea that he could oh yeah no i said uh, that's why it's so prejudicial I, when i could that watch get him, him testify it's <laughs> You know, it kind of crosses your mind. Case, it's right? like, whoa, he needs to really be punished for that. And I know I'm here on this murder case, but I'm looking at what he did to this. So I do think the prejudicial effect might far away the probative value. So, again, it wouldn't surprise me. I'm certain that's going to be one of the arguments by the defense, and I think it potentially would be very effective. So I just want to point that out in advance, what may happen on Monday. 
Well, and it's interesting that, um, you know, Eric Bland was there too. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, he was ready. We've heard him at the hearing that put him behind bars. Honestly, Alec Murdoch has been in, mm -hmm. in prison for quite a while now. Mm -hmm. Um, and this was jail technically, not prison. Oh, sorry, jail. State, yeah. There county is a jail. There is a difference. Sorry, sorry. He's in county jail, of course. But he, um, that this is really, these are, these cases are why he's in shackles. I mean, he's not coming on his free will. He's, oh, he's being brought in every day from, it's, it's, you know, the, the jailhouse. Shocking, shocking. And there's so much money, right? I mean, how much money does a person need? He's taking millions from this poor young man and his brother. What, where, where, we can talk about this later, but where's this money going? Anyhow, that's that was another issue that we broached somewhat today. Mm -hmm. uh, the money's going in and out as quick as it's coming in, uh, and it, a lot of it going to C. E. Smith, Curtis E. Smith, Curtis Edward Smith, mm -hmm. Eddie Smith. Mm -hmm. oh, aliases, lots uh, and lots of aliases uh, for cousin Eddie. Cousin Eddie is I, I think, and we've we've heard it making its rounds today sure cousin on, eddie's coming up on the stand real soon yeah he's on his way and he's in jail too he's actually in the same jail no. he, he, he was, was moved he's to been Lexington. moved yeah he was moved to lexington no, county lexington. yeah wow. he was moved to lexington county back several months ago um i asked mm -hmm. i asked about it at the time and i don't remember quite mm -hmm. what the answer was but it's more or less the fact for his own safety and mm -hmm. that would make sense well, so Eddie um, is, we actually did an interview with Eddie. Um, gosh, Max was with me and we, we got the call to go and we had to go to an undisclosed place location to do this interview with Eddie um, uh, quite a while ago. And, and it was like literally not long after he had been arrested and being involved in these, the roadside um, botched mm -hmm. suicide attempts wow, from must Labor have Day. Been, that must have been something. It was something. And he looked completely different. That was one thing I can say about him. And just to finish it off, I mean, he said, uh, Alec was like a brother to me. And, and he, but we have learned much more about that relationship. And I have a feeling as, as, as we could, you know, foreshadow what's going to happen next week. Mm -hmm. I think we should definitely be prepared to hear from Cousin Eddie coming up. That's going to be very important for the state to, like, bring this this whole case home. Now, there was another thing that happened today as well. Once the jury got back in, we had an opportunity to hear from the firearms yes. expert yes. about the shell casings. And we, we have heard a lot about shell casings in, in this case. And the jury is trying to stay with them, I think. But um, let's play the clip, and, and we'll tell you what we think. If I understand it correctly, the items collected right by Maggie had been extracted, to, loaded into, extracted to, and ejected by the same firearm that identified that items were picked up by the side of the house. Yes, sir, that is correct. It was determined that those items, um, and to include items 108, 113, 116, 117, and 122, also had those same matching mechanism marks to conclude that they had been loaded into, extracted, and ejected from the same firearm as those at the crime scene around Margaret Murdoch's body and those uh, several recovered from the home. So that was uh, the evidence. Yes, yes. That the state was providing today mm -hmm. about the shell casings, and to be super clear, shell casings that have the same marks on them that make them very identifiable to being uh, cycled through one firearm. 
a firearm that we know was available, the type of firearm was available, this blackout rifle, on the property. Yes, yes, and it matched the, the casings. The casings the that Maggie were found Murdoch's all over the place. Body. And I, From uh, different time periods, yeah, too. Yes, and I share this with our listeners and viewers, and I've been in lots of courtrooms prosecuting, and a firm also practices criminal defense. It was a moment mm. when it was somewhat boring, I'd say some of the testimony. Wouldn't you say he was going through... But when it became, when he testified that, in his opinion, the casings near Maddie, Maggie Murdoch's body, particularly the ones that matched by the residents, they matched the ones that had been cycled through, it, I saw visibly a number of jurors, a number of them, and was able to make eye contact. It really sank into them that, that this was hard evidence of the guilt of this defendant. Now, it's early. The defense doesn't have to put on a case, but they will. Mm-hmm. We haven't heard from them. So uh, I do think we have a lot more information that we'll be hearing relative to whether or not the state's proven its case beyond a reasonable doubt. But I will say it was a moment today from the state standpoint in proving the unthinkable. And I want to get back to that because I do think that's a, that's a real issue the state has to address because it is unthinkable to most humans. Mm, unbelievable. What do you think, Drew? I'm, I'm with Charlie. I, uh, to, to his point, yes. I, I'm still trying to be open-minded a bit to the possibility of more than one person being involved. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, let, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to jump down the speculation <laughs> rabbit hole here. That's fair. And, and let, let, let's mm-hmm. let's think here. And, and this is where my mind is going, Charlie. And I want you to tell me if this is unreasonable or not. Is there any chance that this prosecution, that this is an attempt to flush out other people and to really, really squeeze Alec to give out more information on potentially other bad things that he's involved in. Not to say that he wasn't involved with his wife and child's murders, but. Well, that's an interesting, you know, under our procedure, actually, uh, I forget the rule now, but I, was, I need to review that because it may be applicable to this case. Even after post-conviction, there may be a possibility of getting sentencing relief. Let me look at that rule and talk about that maybe next week. But yeah. even if the rule doesn't exist, the idea that, that you're proposing, because the state could, without this prosecution for murder, under life without parole uh, procedures we have, with the financial crimes yeah, that he's he has, going away. He's, he's got, I think he the last the, count, I, I counted 900 years that he yeah, was yeah, capable of yeah, being yeah, and with, sentenced. Yeah, and also on top of that, with uh, if they did the prosecutions in a certain order, he would be ineligible for, for parole. So he'd be in there for life. Uh, so they knew they could do that. So the motivation to go through with this murder prosecution, I wouldn't necessarily dis- discount that. I have a hard time actually thinking there would be that much forward thinking to want to squeeze him. Because if he hasn't rolled, as they say at this point, I don't think he's rolling ever. And so I just have to think overall, I don't want to discount your, your, your speculation or theory here, but I do think just generally speaking, the, the tone I'm getting is that, no, we really think he did it, did it alone, and all the evidence is going to point to him and him alone. 
uh, I, I, I do think there's some, some timeline issues that we've talked about and probably will talk about in the future. So uh, I would say overall, no, but hey, there've been so many surprises in this case. Yeah. I don't, every day has been a surprise for me. Then it's an interesting I, theory. Then I wanna, then if I'm still putting that objective hat on and putting myself in the shoes of a juror, I'm, I'm really now wanting to know how they think he did it. Yes. How yeah. he accomplished it. Uh, and we'll, we'll get Show there. Us, we're, we're, yeah, right? we're, Show us. Yeah, we're getting there. I think we're getting there. Well, um, and, and we haven't even heard the defense's side. I mean, we, no, we, we don't even know how yeah, long the defense is going to go so on true. for. So that's true. Yeah, and to be clear, they don't have to. They're going to show us how he didn't do it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, and they don't have to put up a defense, but it's been very clear they're going to. I mean, they just have too many things going on where I'm confident they'll have lots of witnesses. Well, one thing, and I keep on, this keeps on running in my mind, is that Dick Arpulian's already put it out there in his opening statement, the defense attorney for Alec, that he wants to take this whole jury on a field trip to Moselle so they can see how mm -hmm. large this property is, mm -hmm. how it would have been, uh, you know, because all of us are thinking if he was still on that property and he heard all those guns going off or right. smelled the gun smoke or whatever, you would have known immediately there was something horrific happening. Mm -hmm. With just, we know how many bullets were fired. Yeah, and that's actually a good point because he threw that out there, as I recall, an opening statement, right? Sure. And so if the state objects, it's going to look like they're, and it, the objection won't occur in front of the jury, but still, if they don't go out there, there could be some thought, wait a minute, the state's hiding something. So I, <laughs> we'll see if they've got some uh, agreement already, but my thought would be that if I'm prosecuting, I'd say, sure, let's go on out there and... And, uh, which is not uncommon to have a, a scene visit. A little bit of a mm -hmm. go to the crime scene and walk mm -hmm. it and see mm -hmm. what it feels like. Mm -hmm. Boy, while, I would love to be there. While that's, uh, well, that's all well and good, and it could have some value, I'm sure. It's hard to still escape what we agreed upon before we came in to this episode. The biggest story of the week coming out of this trial. Oh, yes. That video that to so far blows up his alibi that I was not there. And yet here you are identified by two of Paul's best friends, like who considered you Alec Murdoch, like mm -hmm. a second dad, like a second family. We're always at his in a hundred percent confident that your voice on that video, putting you there about five minutes before the state says the murders happened. That's right. And that's that you still can't get past that. Uh, I think, I think the cir the circumstantial evidence is certainly becoming insurmountable at this point. That he is somehow involved. Whether we take mm -hmm. it for the fact that the the shell casings, let's I'm going to be as clear as I can on stating sure. this in case and you in case anybody else needs clarification. What we heard today from the state's firearms analysis analysis expert is that individual and unique markings created by a certain gun were found on the shell casings by Maggie's body and on other places on that Murdoch property to a large extent proving that the murder weapon had been on that property at some point in the past. Yes, that's a fair statement. And mm -hmm. we, <laughs> that gun is missing. 
that gun is missing. They don't have it. They don't have the murder weapon. Where is it? Where did it go? And it's, but it's, there's proof now that it's been there. There's other little things that we've heard throughout the week that his alibi doesn't match up with the timings. And there was the little thing about, well, I had, uh, I, Maggie had left and gone to the doctor that morning. And, oh, if we read Maggie's texts, she wasn't there at all. Alec wanted her to come home that day from mm-hmm. the beach, and we ha- we hear that she likes staying at the beach. She didn't like staying at Moselle. Just it, it's one getting thing there. After yeah, yeah. Another. Right. It's so convoluted. But the big it, one is the video. Yes. Yeah, so let's uh, let's play the video. Um, so this to us was probably the biggest moment in the state's case this week. Agreed. Get it. Get that. Quit, Cash. Come on. Quit. Okay. Come here. Oh, Come here, Cash. Shit. Post it. Cash. Hey, he's got a bird in his mouth. Bubba. Hey, Bubba. That's a guinea. This is a chicken. Come here, Bubba. Come here, Bubba. Cash. Quit. Wow. You hear Alec Murdoch's voice about four wow. times on that video. Wow. Wow. And, and you know, to your point, it, it is in the States has a circumstantial evidence case. And of course, if I'm a juror, I'd like to have direct evidence. I'd like to have an eyewitness. But of course, the eyewitnesses here are dead. Right. And so we're, we don't have the murder weapons. Well, does that make it impossible to convict somebody of, of a double homicide? No. It's circumstantially can be proved. It's a it's it's difficult Right, typically with circumstantial evidence cases. From but the extraction or from the actual device to the oh, phone. Well, it can be done. Call, call detail records provided. Sorry for the... Sorry, oh. we, we, had a ro- we had a rogue video start playing. <laughs> Max turned his head for one second and it <laughs> betrayed him. <laughs> it Charlie, it on track. Charlie, what were you saying? I, I was just saying the, the, the reality of where the case stands is these strands of the rope that we've talked about, that you can prove a circumstantial right. evidence case, and I think that a really good analogy is a rope. If you have a single strand of that rope, it's very, very weak. But you get two, three, four, five. And I'm counting strands here. What would you think? Maybe over 100 now? Mm-hmm. There's and a lot. It's, there are a lot of strands. And I think it's starting to be a, a pretty stout rope here. Well, and I think what the state's done so well, as we've watched, um, it's very hard to explain chaos. And right. I feel like they're doing a, a, a very good job um, of explaining the chaotic nature of what was going on in every facet. We we knew that it was chaotic just because it was a busy young family to some degree that mm-hmm. was doing lots of things. But then you start seeing, as you start peeling back the layers, you see the chaos and how stressful that chaos really was from the boat crash incident with Paul to, you know, they're, they're, they're building up to all of these truly right and the financial um, issues he was stretched financially and those financial documents today i wow i mean he was not good with money was he he he, it looked like to me he was in bad some bad investments and money was just flying out but i still don't quite get where it all went though yeah i think that's going to be next week i think there's a lot 
to come next week and um and it's gonna play it's gonna it's gonna play itself out i mean the the defense is gonna have a lot to um to tackle next um we what we did want to clear up one thing and this was about the deleted calls on alec murdoch's phone we were talking about it let's go ahead and play that clip that max uh sort of the the one that that just almost played a little while ago compared the call logs from the extraction or from the actual device to the phone logs that I saw on the call detail records provided from Verizon. On the date in question on June 7th, I only uh, saw two FaceTime calls on the phone extraction, and I saw a series of around 73 phone calls on the Verizon uh, call detail record. So I, I think last night we kind of glossed over that a little bit and maybe didn't give you an accurate timeline of what exactly happened, what exactly was being said mm -hmm. right there. Those 73 missed calls weren't over a several day period. They were a single day. Oh, is that right? Uh, uh, I missed that. Yeah. When they, uh, there was, I think it going back a day or two, mm -hmm. there had been more testimony that they had pulled more days mm -hmm. uh, in, in a broader look, but the 73 missed calls were missing According to our re-listen of it, the 73 missed calls were missing from the day of. June 7th. Yes. And Charlie, to your point about strands and <laughs> circumstantial evidence, <laughs> yeah. why are 73 missed calls missing from your phone? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> evidence of guilt, isn't it? Hiding evidence. So, yeah, it's... Uh, Who was he calling? Why mm -hmm, was he calling? Mm -hmm. Who was he trying to get a hold of? Mm -hmm. And I know it's a little bit off topic, too, but I just can't leave today without talking about the bank, right? I mean, it looked like it was his personal piggy bank, right? I mean, who who, who does that? And I guess Russell Lafitte must have been his key contact there. Mm -hmm. Well, and Lafitte, from what you've learned in, when listening to the Russell Lafitte federal trial, I mean, this was, a, this was a situation where they started and they didn't stop. And they realized that it, they could get away with... I mean, amazing. Kind of I mean, we heard the overdraft of roughly $350,000. And so Prosecutor Waters made the astute observation, must be the most generous overdraft policy, do you say in the world or in the country? Uh -huh. in, it's, I think, in the world, in the history, <laughs> yeah, uh, history. what he said. And yeah, and I think uh, AUSA Emily Limehouse made that same point during the federal trial for Russell Lafitte. Mm -hmm. The, and she's been here too, by the way. Yeah. yeah. The, and I think Russell, his dad and his sister, not just Russell, but his dad and his sister potentially have a lot to answer for there uh, because one of the most incredible things to come out of that Lafitte trial was the fact that when the rest of the bank's board of directors mm -hmm. and other members of that executive committee started asking questions and saying, hey, this doesn't look right. Russell Lafitte's dad got up in front of uh, got up in front of all of them and said we we've been giving him money we're going to keep giving giving him money like in no uncertain terms and I you, you have to wonder did he know the full extent of what his son Russell had according to a jury's conviction been doing uh, knowingly and, and that was the overwhelming evidence yes yes uh, the new CEO I would say that he testified well he's the new one and I think. The prosecutor called him new sheriff in town. It looked mm -hmm. to me like he's going to write the bank there and uh, wish them well going the forward. Ship a bit. Yes. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, um, we have wrapped up this week. We are going. Oh, do you have one more thing? 
Uh, no, I just want to thank, uh, yeah, yeah, I just really course. want to thank everyone who has been tuning in, whether you're watching uh, watching along Facebook, YouTube, uh, abcnews4.com. That's our home website uh, for, for us at WCIV TV in Charleston, ABC News 4. We're putting all this stuff on video so you can watch along with our YouTube channel, our Facebook. Uh, we're streaming on Twitter tonight. We've done that a few nights in a row now. Um, We've also got the podcast. This 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 is how we started doing it was just on the podcast. If you're looking for us, we'd appreciate it. We're really thrilled to see today we're looking at the, the Apple Podcast charts. We are in the top 50 true, true crime podcasts on Apple right now, which is just amazing for us. Yeah. Uh, so that's in large part to all of you listening. Uh, if you're watching and not listening, please go like and subscribe to us on uh, on our um, podcast feed. Anywhere that you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Spotify Apple, go for it. We'll um, be there. Max has got the, Max has on, on the video feed right now, he has the full, uh, a full screen graphic up that shows you what you're looking for as far as trying to match up with, uh, trying to match up with the actual name of the show. It is Unsolved South Carolina, The Murdoch Murders Money and Mystery. That's the name of the podcast, Unsolved South Carolina, The Murdoch Murders Money and Mystery. If you can search either of those two things, if you're looking for us on the podcast itself, uh, if you're watching and not subscribed to the podcast, please look for that. Uh, you, you'll look for this logo, the Unsolved South Carolina logo. That's what we're branded under. We do several other podcasts. We have one for the Brittany Drexel case. That's one of the right. Most, it's running right now. Most, we just dropped a new one last week. The most infamous missing person case in South Carolina of the 21st century so far. Max is trying to attack me right now as I'm speaking. <laughs> with. He's trying to he's trying to wrap me up aggressively. I know. <laughs> I, this is why we, you've got to get a camera on Max and Drew. That is yes. going to be my goal next week. It's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. But you got to see our our setup over there too because uh, we're we're all working hard today. <laughs> But I want to I want to send y'all home with the thought that this is a this is far from over. We're going to be following every step. We want you to follow along with us. We've got. Um, it looks like we're going to have a, quite a bit more oh. testimony. So wow. yeah. we'll see you soon. We're signing off for this week. I'm Ann Emerson, Charlie Condon, Drew Tripp, Max Harrison. Thank you so much for being part of our day. Max, who did this music? This yeah. is Max. <laughs> this is Max. Where would we be without our music? Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. 
as an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.